0: Well, we say this almost every week at First Family, and that is that it's the Word that does the work, right, church? So in light of that, let's take our Bibles, and let's make sure we put our nose in the text this morning, whether here in this room, at our Carlisle campus, want to welcome them in. Also, many of our homebound folks who can't be here, they're listening and watching, our small group up in Guttenberg, they're tuning in, I'm sure. So let's all, regardless of location, take our Bibles The book of Philippians, I think this is week four or five in our new series. And let me see if I can just show you something to help you review last week's message. Can I do that? It's this right here. So maybe the camera's going to zoom in in case you can't see it clearly. But I suspect if I show you this, you'll remember the uh, one version of last week's take-home truth. We were looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses... 3 to 11 it's all about partnership the book is and as he begins the book he he makes it clear that uh, say it with me church no matter how you slice it partnership comes up prayer good pretty good okay Bob can you hold that just till next service do not eat that <laughs> and so we're looking at this idea of partnership for the next 24ish weeks it's the real gist of Philippians. And we saw last week that a priority issue, a priority matter in partnership is the privilege of prayer, mutual two way prayer between partners. I want us to look this week at the actual prayer that Paul prays for them. Now, if you recall, last week we looked at verses three through eight, and it's more of the background to the prayer. You make it look at it like the why kind of gives the the reasoning, and it 's not till verse nine that it actually gets to the actual prayer and so we're going to look at that this week and i I predict if I could just be this transparently humble with you, I think this may be one of the most practical weeks we've had in years. I hope that every week is practical, but I know that sometimes I struggle to make things you know like Illustrate things well or make them very practical. I think this week, even though the text may appear at times to be quite difficult, I think when we're done, you're like, wow, I can do that today. So let's just look at the text. Can we? Here's the prayer, the actual content of this partner prayer that Paul prays for them, and that I think he is by implication saying, let's pray this for each other. Philippians 1 verse 9, and I pray this. Don't you love that clarity? There's no doubt about what he's saying here, is there? He's praying this, that your love will keep on growing. So let's just be clear, this is the core of his prayer. Now notice how he begins to modify and describe it. That your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Verse 10 begins with a a, a purposeful clause, a phrase, so that, say those two words with me, so that, in other words, I'm praying for this, that your love will keep on growing in these two ways. And here's the purpose for that prayer, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So that's the actual prayer that Paul was praying for this church and its people. He writes this 10 years after he planted it. Let's back up a bit and let's just analyze the prayer for a bit and understand more about what he's saying. He says first of all that he's praying that their love will keep on growing. Can we just state the obvious? He's praying, first of all, for a growing love. Some of your translations may say that your love will abound yet more and more. A little bit of language insight for you that I think I find quite intriguing. Paul doesn't just say that your love will abound or grow. He doesn't just say, I want it to grow more. He actually uses a number of words that almost are repetitious in the original language. He says, I want your love to abound more more. And abound even more. It's just like he's saying, I want your love to see growth, to see an abundance, to see an excessive amount of love in ways that you can't even describe. More and more love. So we're just gonna put it simply Paul is praying that they will have a, a growing love. The word here is agape, it means sacrificial, God like love. He wants that kind of love to be in abundance, to be abounding more and more in an increasing fashion. That's what he wants for this partner church. That's the core of it, a growing love. He does modify it by saying this about this love, that they'll grow in love, um, that their love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. The word knowledge here is not the word for like a mental Uh, thinking type of uh, love only. That would be a different word. This would be more of an experiential. It thinks, it reasons, it's not a non-thinking love. But it's not just a classroom theory love. It's a love that is experienced and realized in the trenches. It'd be one that you uh, feel and see and understand because you are experiencing it. So he wants their love to grow, watch this now, in an experiential way, not just a head way, not just a um, lip fashion, but in life fashion, interaction. And he also says here that your love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. He's asking for them to, to have the kind of love that that says, okay, I've got choices, and I'm going to make the choice that's most sacrificial. I draw that because of the word agape. We look at situations and people, we look at experiences, and we say, how can I best love in this moment? And we discern what's the best for someone else's progress and interest and benefit, and growth. It's a very agape, sacrificial love. In fact, I grew up hearing this as the definition for agape love. I don't think it's the only one, but it stuck with me. And I think it's true. It may not be the only way to describe it, but I was always taught this, that agape love is desiring the highest good for someone else. Now, I would probably intensify that and say this, that would be acting in the best interest of someone else. Because I might could desire it, but can we just be honest? As you heard from our marriage conference this past weekend, love is a verb. And so there's action. Let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth, John would say in his epistle. And so there's a sense in which Paul here is now saying this. I want your love to grow in actual experiential um, moments where you discern the most sacrificial action to take. Is that pretty practical? I didn't say it was easy. I'm just saying it's not hard to understand that when you are in the trenches with your church and you have opportunities to love that you'll have a growing, abounding love that will not be afraid in the moment of need when the opportunity arises to discern what's the most sacrificial beneficial action for someone else. That's the kind of love he wants him to grow in. Now I'm already feeling like, wow, that's a lot to ask for. No wonder he's praying for this, amen? Only God can produce this kind of love. Notice what he says, this kind of love will then result in. I would use the word, this kind of love feeds something. I think the verse says that it feeds a maturing type of behavior. Look with me. As this kind of love grows, verse 10 says, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So so, so if you read the text at face value, Paul is saying that when we grow in experiential relational, situational love that asks the question, what's the best thing for someone else in this moment? Then we are able to test. What does he say here? We're able to test or approve. That's the word meaning to uh, kind of find out. It was often used for coins to determine which was a counterfeit coin, which was a legitimate coin. He says you can test, you can approve the things that are superior, meaning, and let's just be frankly honest about the text, There is an inferior action. So in a moment, when sacrifice seems hard, sometimes we say, you know what? I don't think I'll take that option. That's too difficult. I'll take the inferior one, which is often the selfish one instead of the selfless one. And love doesn't grow in our body because we choose the inferior things. We look and we discern and we say, I don't think I want to pay that price. And we choose an inferior avenue, an inferior option, usually because of motives or consciences that aren't pure, which is really what he's referencing next. He says, let me be pure and blameless. But when in the moment of need, in the opportunity, where we have the God-given privilege to be sacrificial, We then discern this is the best action. This is the superior action. And from a right motive with a clear conscience, we choose that. And that's a beautiful moment in the body of Christ. Amen. That's a beautiful moment in your family. When love is seen and someone's behavior is clearly evidenced as maturing. Now, let me just give you a a simple example. Not specific but simple. I think all of you see this, if you're parents, you see this in your kids. When they're two and four and five, they rarely act with another's best interest in mind. Could some parents say amen? And now you're speaking to me, aren't you? But as they grow and you model loving your spouse sacrificially, thinking and acting for their best interest, And in the moments, choosing superior actions that benefit them, not just yourself, out of pure motives, a clean conscience. Like, you want the best thing for your spouse. When they see that year after year, at some point, puberty hits 13, then 15, and what you begin to see, Lord willing, at some point is your child, who at two and four and five was really a selfish creature. At some point, they begin to say, you know, I think I'll do this instead it's the best thing for the moment and for someone else. And they begin to love in ways that evidence maturity. Are you with me? You've seen that. And perhaps most parents, you're thinking of examples when you're like, I can't, I'll never forget the day my son proved he was actually growing up. Or my daughter evidenced she's listening. We all have those moments. This is all that Paul is talking about. In a spiritual way, the body of Christ. He's praying, will grow in love. What kind of love? A love that is experiencing moments when we discern what is best, and then with a clear conscience and pure motives, choose the superior action to love like God loves, sacrificially, with the best interest of the other person in mind. Again, it's not complicated. But it is difficult. Could somebody say amen? <laughs> and notice what he says next. That this growing love, which I think feeds maturing behavior. In other words, if you really want to grow up spiritually, then begin to love in an evidential, experiential, sacrificial way. Discern and make the difficult choice to put someone's needs above your own, like Philippians 2 says. When you do that... As hard as it is, it is the way to grow up. It's like spiritually working out. You're going to God's gym. And you're building up the muscles that really matter. After all, what did Paul tell Timothy? The end of the commandment is love from a pure heart. What he's saying, Corinthians, that at the end of the day, there remains three things. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, say it, church, So we're talking about really working out the muscle that in the end matters the most. But it is a workout, isn't it? In moments when life is just right in front of you to actually ask yourself, what would be the best thing? Not just what I want. What's the best thing for the situation for the people? To discern that and then to test it and say, okay, I will take this action not because of some selfish motive or some hidden desire, a manipulative angle. I'm going to do the the best thing for everyone involved. I'll take that action and the love in this way. and That's like three sets, 10 reps, God's bench press, all right? You're working out the muscle that matters. But that's what Paul's praying for, a growing love that feeds maturing behavior, and then it leads to something. Notice what he says next that you'll be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. I believe at this point, Paul begins to kind of turn with a view to the future. In other words, he's saying that not only in that moment are you acting from pure motives. He's not speaking of perfect motives. We don't bat a thousand every time, but he is saying there is this posture we're now seeing where there's an increasing amount of blamelessness. We can't be accused of wrongdoing because our motives are pure. It may not come out the right way all the time. We may, need, we may need a foul ball here and there, so to speak. But our motives are right. Our conscience is clear. And so we begin to act sacrificially on behalf of others and love them that way. And Paul says, as we do this more and more, we're going to find that at the day of Christ, we'll actually be what he has already declared us to be positionally. Now, I base that on this word filled. This is a very intriguing word. Paul says we're going to be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So he's envisioning current, present tense action, yes. But he's also envisioning a day in which that is fully filled, fully um, true about us in every way. That's the day of Christ. And then he says, on that day we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because the word filled here is in the perfect tense, which means... That something occurred at a point in time, but it continues to last and last. Often call this the energizer bunny tense. Like it goes on and on and on. This is the perfect tense. So Paul is saying this, I believe. As he thinks about the day of Christ, when we will um, actually experience what Christ did in us positionally, He says, on that day, the day of Christ, you will experience the full effect of what he did when he saved you. In other words, positionally, he's declared you blameless, righteous. But as you continue to love this way, you're going to experience it more and more. On the day of Christ, you know what? It will be true in every single way. He's made you blameless and pure, and it will be for his glory. You see how the phrase ends, how the verse ends? This fruit, it comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So again, it's all sourced by Christ. So what Paul is saying is this. Something occurred when you were born again positionally. You were filled with the fruit of righteousness. But it's not always easily seen because we're being sanctified, we're growing. But as you discern situations in which you can love like God, this is more and more displayed, Uh, It's more and more evidenced. It's more and more seen. And then when Christ returns and you are in his presence, you will actually then, at this point, because of Christ's work at the beginning, experience the full, final sense of blamelessness. All because of what Christ started and sourced. And all of this will be to God's glory and praise. It's very similar to what Jude said. That Christ will present us faultless and blameless. So it's all Christ's work. And as Paul thinks about this day of Christ, he's saying to us, I'm praying that in this journey of sanctification, that you will love one another to the degree that what God is doing will be seen in your decisions and your actions because you will discern what's best and you'll take the action that is most sacrificial and beneficial, and you'll love like God. And as you keep doing that, Jesus will keep sourcing it. He'll keep working in you. There's a day coming where that'll be seen in its fullest form, and God will get all the glory. So you can just say divine reflection. So along this path, this, can I call it an answered prayer path? Along that path, people are seeing God's work in your life as you make the best choices to love in sacrificial ways for the benefit of other people. So that is the simplest, most practical way to share with you the prayer between verses 9 and 11. That, that this church, Paul says, would have a growing love in discernment and knowledge. In other words, as you experience moments that require this question, what is the best action to take For the benefit of those around me. What's sacrificial love like in this moment? Then you'll have the discernment to do that. To take the superior route. You'll begin to grow. And as that happens and is visible. Folks will see the work of God in your life. One day it will be finished. And God will get all the glory from it. This is what Paul is praying. For a growing love. That feeds maturing behavior. And that leads to divine reflection. So again, I think it's quite practical. Very convicting. When you read the prayer, you might not see like, I'm not sure I understand all that or get it. But in the simplest of terms, this is really what Paul is praying for this church in Philippi. A growing love that feeds maturing behavior that will lead to divine reflection. Now, can I revisit a couple things from last week? Just to show you the continuity of the entire section. Let me even use some words from last week. Let me slice it up two other ways for you, okay? I think you can see again in this prayer the external, internal, and vertical types of emphases. Paul says there's something he prays for them, but he's praying that this love will have discernment. That's an internal thing so they can act in certain ways But all of that of course is sourced by God and is to God's glory, that's vertical. So do you see it? Say it with me, there's an external action, there's an internal process, and there's a vertical result. There's also another way you can slice this. I think it's okay to say this. I think in in some ways Paul here is saying pray for a process and pray towards a product. What's the process? That as you encounter real life situations that demand love and sacrifice, that you'll be willing to to analyze them and examine them and choose the superior action, which is the sacrificial action that's for the best of someone else. That's a process, and that takes prayer, amen? So he's saying, I'm praying for a process, but he's also saying, I'm praying towards a product that as this unfolds, people will see God's glory in your life. In your decisions, in your love for each other, in your sacrifice, that they'll see God's glory. So, no matter how you slice this, whether you see those three words again of external, internal, and vertical, or whether you see the process and the product, can we just say this? No matter how you slice this prayer, which is fundamental to his partnership, man, it's all about a love, sacrificial, Godlike. Agape love. So I want to take the same truth as we did last week and just expand it a bit. Here's last week's take home truth. We gathered this from verses 3 to 8. It's simply this, that prayer is a partnership, priority, and privilege. Will you say that with me? Prayer is a partnership, priority, and privilege. That's what we see clearly as Paul begins to lay out this book on partnership. His work with the Philippian church and their work with him. He begins with prayer. It's fundamental to this relationship, both functionally, responsibly, in so many ways. Prayer is the groundwork. But if we took the prayer and inserted it into this truth, here's what we would find. That prayer, now watch this next inserted phrase, for a growing love that feeds maturing behavior and leads to divine reflection is a partnership Priority and privilege. Because there is a specific way Paul is praying for this partner church. Wouldn't you agree? He actually says, and this is what I pray. So let's not, you know, do an end around around the text and say we can pray wherever you want. Actually, Paul tells us what he's praying for this church that partners with him. And I think by implication, like I said, how he wants them to pray for him. And that is in this way for a growing love, God like agape love. That feeds maturing behavior. You make the choice that's best for the other person. By the way, I'm going to pause there and say this: that may not always be an easy choice, and that may not always be a choice they like. But it's the best, cho- best choice for everyone involved. It's not just like something you want for yourself. It may not be just what they want, but it's a sacrificial, godlike a decision to act in a way that does not have false motives. You're pure, you're blameless, your conscience is clear. So it's a sacrificial moment of loving that leads to this divine reflection where people see God's love in you and he gets the glory because Christ is sourcing it and God is glorified by it. That's the kind of prayer we're to pray for each other. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to read that together because this is very... Simple, and I would just be frank with you, I think it's very practical. I can even sense in the room. Most of us are like, I get that, but I don't like that. I can just sense like, wow, I gotta wrestle with my decision-making processes in moments when I know I have to decide what's the best thing to do for others in this situation. It's tough. But it's not complicated, though it's difficult. So let's read this together, can we? Prayer for a growing love that feeds maturing behavior and leads to divine reflection, is a partnership priority and privilege. Let me offer it a, a brief how to go about this. It's not in the text, so I'm gonna call it a Todd's tip, okay? I think it works. I think it's biblical, but it's not in this text, so I want this to be a little uh, less intense on this part. I give you this so that you will not just lip your love, but so you will live your love. Hear my heart? We can all say, I love you. Then often we act in selfish ways. We work angles, we have a hook. and We don't really sometimes decide or act in the trenches experientially in agape type ways. So here's a couple of tips on how to avoid just lipping your love and actually living your love. They all have L's. I have found this helpful. I'm not perfect at it by any means. But I have found this to be a helpful process personally. Listen and look first. Often we want to speak first, don't we? Get my opinion on the table. But I think an awareness of what's going on and perhaps asking questions is often a better option to really gauge what's necessary, what's required, what should I do next, what's the most sacrificial thing, what's the most godlike action I can take in this moment. So listen and look, ask questions, just be very aware. You could say it like this increase your awareness, but listening and looking you know, 360 kind of swivel. What's going on? This may apply in your home at the dinner table. This may apply to a conversation with your spouse. It could apply to something in your small group. Maybe on a fireside chat. Maybe in your ministry team meeting. You could just take the same thing and say, okay, wherever I am, when we got to make a decision, I'm going to first, I'm going to listen and look and try to gauge what's really going on. I'm going to be aware. And then I'll take the Love step, which by that I mean act. So we're going to look and listen, and then we're going to love. And you can put your verb in there. But it means by that to act. Do the superior thing, not the inferior thing. And I believe the text would bear this out. The superior thing is the sacrificial thing. The inferior thing is the selfish thing. Watch this. So we listen and look, then we love or we act, and then there's light. In other words, God's glory is seen. His work in our life is evidence. Not to make us proud, not to build you up in a a boastful way, but to glorify God. And it's clear that God is doing something in you that you could not do on your own. The light of God's work is seen. So just to put it succinctly, listen and look, love, then let God use that to light the room or the moment or the way. All right? That just helps me a lot. That's a simple kind of process to implementing Maybe an answer to this prayer. That when you're in moments where your love needs to really grow, it's in the trenches, experiential, it's beyond the head. I mean, this is like your your hands and feet are involved. You've got to discern what's the best thing, the most godlike thing that I can do at this moment for everyone involved, then you take that action that's working out your spiritual muscle. You love in that sacrificial way, and God gets glory, and his work is seen in your life. That's this prayer that Paul is praying. I would remind you of this, that if you'll just kind of tuck this away into your heart's pocket, you'll find out as these chapters unfold why Paul is praying this prayer. There were two ladies in the church at Philippi who could not get along. He urges them in chapter 4 to figure out a way to agree with each other. So, so that's just one example. There's also moments in which Timothy and Epaphroditus are highlighted as examples of incredible sacrificial love and service. Epaphroditus, even risking his life for the sake of the gospel. So do you see what Paul's doing? He's laying groundwork here in the beginning to say, guys, the more this kind of love is seen in your church, the more the gospel's gonna spread. The more Christ's name is gonna be known. And that's the point. And so let's pray for each other for a growing type of love. Now I want to just answer one more why question and then perhaps illustrate how this is seen at First Family sometimes. Because I just alluded to it, but I want you to hear this well. The reason this prayer matters is because I think this is Paul's way of echoing what Jesus said in John 13, in which he said that this is the way the world will know that you are my disciples. Church, hear me well. When you have love one for another. Our witness to the world isn't gauged primarily by how much we love the world. Our witness to the world is is gauged primarily by how much we love each other. And the world will sit up and take notice of a God who can cause 900 people to love each other. Because most of the time, five of them can't do that. Sadly, often in churches, five can't do that sometimes. But can you imagine the miracle working power of a church with all kinds of personalities and preferences... A mound of diversity, which is beautiful. Loving each other and sacrificing for the highest good of the other person. Can you imagine what the world would say when they see that? They might say what they said in Corinthians. Truly God is among you. Amen, church? It's our love for one another. Sacrificial, God-like love in the trenches, in the moment. We have to make the tough choice. We make the superior one, the sacrificial one. God's glory is seen. Christ is known to be the source of that. And the world takes note. That's the kind of love I can produce and know nothing about. Because the world's fighting for their way. They're working every angle. They're devising and scheming. They're cutting corners. They're making sure that at the end of the day, they benefit only. That's how lost people think. And when they see a group of people who think differently, discern differently, and act differently, they have to wonder, how does that happen? And the answer is, God. We pray for God to do this in us. And when he does, it's a beautiful witness to the world that God is real and powerful and alive. So can can I just pause here for a moment and say to anyone in this room who may be a skeptic, maybe you're... Curious, but not yet in. You're just not sure you believe all this. In this church, it is our desire to love one another in this fashion. We do not have the capacity to do it, but God gives us the capacity because he is a God of love. He proved his love when he gave his son, Jesus, to live, die, and be raised again for us. In fact, the Bible says that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everything about what we believe is centered on God's agape love for us. And so when God fills us with that kind of love and we love each other that way, it's not anything that we're doing. We're not great. There's no experts in this room. We're not kings in a castle. We're servants at a table. And God is filling us with his love and showing us how to love each other. And this is why we pray for this kind of love. So those who are on the outside and wondering, how can I be part of that? We get an honest opportunity to share with you. It's only through Jesus Christ. He's the one who fills us with the fruit of his righteousness. And we invite you, I invite you, to trust Jesus this morning, to leave the world of skepticism and doubt, to put your faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son, who humanly and historically and yet divinely lived on the earth, perfectly fulfilling all that God required died in your place and paid your penalty. And now I simply ask that you repent and believe in his name and he will give you eternal life and an incredible ability to love. Can I show you how I've seen this at First Family? I was chatting with Julie last week a bit just about the message in this text and we were just meditating together on it. And we just both commented like, we've seen this kind of love play out. I'll give you a couple of examples and then I'll be done. We were commenting that it's beautiful to watch this in many of you who are caring for an aging spouse or perhaps aging parents. Those are moments in which you realize the most selfless thing you can do is to put their needs in front of your own. Many of you have moved locations, you've purchased residences for your aging parents. You've adjusted your living quarters for a spouse who's terminally ill. It's a beautiful thing to watch you live with this kind of love. Thank you for showing our body what God's love looks like. I see this in some of our families who have disabled children. Most people weren't planning on that. Can we just be honest here? But I watch moms and dads Adjust their life from the ground floor up and love in light of what's best for their child. The Mercers, the Rose family. I mean, there's others. And I, I want to say thank you for showing us what God's love looks like. For in the moment, discerning, I'm going to love in the way that's best for that person. Whether it's an aging parent, uh, a terminal spouse, a disabled child. And I've seen this with some of you in other ways. There's a hundred people who, a little over a year ago, were in these chairs, but they're now meeting this morning at the library just over the way. And they were, many of them, rooted in this church, some since the day it started. But they sense God saying, Let's plant another church here in Ankeny. And they left. They left strong relationships, they left really rooted small groups. They left, in the right sense of the word, comfortable environments to reach more people. They embraced discomfort, newness. Some have done this in cities like Adele, some went to the east side of Des Moines, our six different church plants. To more here, six years, now in a foreign country in Central Asia, planting there. You see, even church planting, even campuses, this is all the mentality of like, hey. What's best so that God's work is seen, so that his love is evidenced, so I'll make a choice that's best for other people. I'll make the sacrificial action, not the selfish one. So whether physically or spiritually, this is what really drives and fuels and oils the wheels of a church. It's God-empowered, God-given love that feeds maturing behavior And that leads to divine reflection. I wanna say thank you to so many of you who, whether it's in your giving, your going, your serving, your sacrificing, you're showing that you're examining situations and choosing the superior action for the good of others. Thank you. I'm glad you're in this church. I'm praying that God will give more of us this kind of growing love that feeds maturing behavior and leads to divine reflection. What do you say we pray for God to give us more of that? Because would you agree with me? You can't produce this, can you? I can't. But God can. He's the author of love. He's the ultimate example and the exclusive giver of it. So together, let's pray and thank God for this kind of love. Let's bow our heads, can we? All across the room, our heads are bowed. Would you just ask God for this kind of love? Just right now, above a whisper, across the room, just say, God, give me a growing love. You can say it that simply. God knows your heart. He knows what you're asking for. Say, God, give me the love of Philippians 1, 9 to 11. You can say it like that. Just cry out to God. Join him in this partner prayer. God, give me this kind of love. This is what Paul prayed for the Philippian church. is what he wanted them to pray for him. And I think it's fitting that we pray this for our church. And know this, church. You're, you're going to only be able to love this way as you see God's love. God, give us a growing love that will discern in those experiential moments what is best, what's superior, what's the sacrificial action that would glorify your name. And Lord, empower us by your spirit, gift us by your spirit in those moments to take that action and then as that is seen and felt, God, I pray that we would find ourselves growing stronger in our faith for the glory of your name. What I pray this kind of love in this body would be what this community sees. God, protect us. Prevent us from being a divisive, argumentative body make us a sacrificial loving focused body on your mission and how we now can sacrifice to see that accomplished but I pray that would affect our decisions in the moment in the immediate experiences we have to love each other God may your mission and may your Holy Spirit drive us Fuel us, empower us to live sacrificially, not selfishly. For your glory, not our good, and gain only. But Lord, So I just pray this for us. And I'm not clever or smart. I'm just praying what Paul wrote. I'm just delivering the news, God. I pray this news will land on us good today. Though it may be difficult... And it may be hard. No one will leave here today thinking, I didn't quite get it. Lord, I think this is pretty simple and practical. And I pray we have the courage to fall on our face and pray this very same prayer. God, give us a growing love.